The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon Nancy as I silenced my cell phone. Hi, Shannon. I should probably do that too. Uh, so, yeah. I'm Nick. Uh, I'm is, Nick so. Spot Jackson. I'm Shannon Penrod. And we're both technological geniuses. That's we are. We are such <laughs> techno nerds, as Shannon once called herself. Yes. Uh, and I because I meant that I like technology. Uh, it doesn't like me, but I like it. I'm glad you like it. I got a new iPhone and I almost had a stroke trying to figure it out because the guy at the store where I bought it did not transfer anything. He said, oh, no, I don't do that. And oh, everybody, told me cool. that's, everybody told me that's totally wrong. They should have transferred everything. So I had to sit there and download every app, every program, oh, everything no. that I ever had in my iPhone. Oh, I would so go back and talk to his manager, which, you know, is a terrible, terrible thing. But that is that is the cruelest thing I've ever heard, Nancy. That is inappropriate. Well, luckily for me, I had a really bright 12 year old help me. Oh, well, there you go. That's always helpful. Put the technology in the in the children's hands and they can explain it all to us. I used to make fun of my grandmother because I I remember my grandmother came to visit once when my mother was in the hospital and she said, I'm going to stay home today. My mother was doing better. She said, I'm going to stay home and, and help out with the things around the house and I'm going to do the laundry. You know, all the things you want to do for a family member when something like that happens. And I remember we came home and there was just a mess of wires all over the living room. And my dad said, what did you do to my grandmother? And she said, I was just trying to figure out how to turn the TV on. And I could, <laughs> she had unplugged everything. And my dad went over and he pushed the button on the TV. And he said, that's how you turn the TV on. But, but there were like four remotes, you know, and I just, I was like, how did you not know how to turn the TV on? And now I laugh at myself all the time. I have turned into my grandmother. Oh, you uh, It's terrible, 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 terrible. But anyway, we got a big show. You know, Nancy, I was thinking about that. This, this is the last show that we're going to be doing before it's April, uh, which is the big A month, right? Autism Awareness, Acceptance, and Action. And um, it's the last show before we start moving the first boxes into our new studio. So it's kind right. of, it's kind of a big deal. This last show, yes, it doesn't mean, deal. it doesn't mean we're going to be doing live shows from the studio next week. Cause everybody has to give us a hot minute to, to get set up, but it, it's the last one when we're totally, totally doing things long distance. So we'll see what happens. Very and exciting. And we've got a great guest today. Who's going to be joining us soon. Um, an amazing dad. Uh -huh. uh, and a new author. So that's really wonderful. And we're excited. Uh, Alex Fielstein is going to be joining us. So that's super fun. But first, uh, I want to say that if you're watching the show, I do, I do want to say that we are now taping these shows the night before. So it, it's not live, but it's premiering live. And generally, I am watching the show with you live, although I can't 
during this airing because I'm moving stuff into the studio. So I will take a look at all the comments that you guys send in later. And I don't know if you're available uh, to be watching the show live, Nancy, but um, please feel free to use the chat. We do look at the comments that you guys send, and I will be answering them later on if you guys have any questions. We do love, 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 love the comments. This show does podcast, though. It is a free download wherever you get your podcasts, so we hope that you'll check it out. We love when you send in comments. We love when you give us reviews because that's what's kept us on the air for over 10 years. So thrilled. And Traven is showing you some of the different places that you can watch the show either live or in podcast form. So that's our disclaimer so far for today. And now it's time for our news stories. Our weekly oh, can news we show stories. some of Wyatt's paintings? Oh my gosh. Yes. Before the news, let's show some of Wyatt's paintings. Cause I love this part of the show. Okay. Here's three new ones. First, I'll show you one that he called desert sky. I love that. The colors are gorgeous. That one's Desert Sky. I think Traven has it. There it is. Amazing. And then this next one is called African Zebras. Oh, how lovely is that? It's on some strange kind of canvasy type paper. Huh. I like it. I like yeah. it a lot. And then yesterday he painted his fourth cow. The cows are to die for. Look at this one, you guys. This just kills me. It's the expression on that cow's face. <laughs> Don't you just want to kiss it? It's just, he's got, he's got a real talent for catching the expression in the eyes and in the face. There's movement and there's, it's, it's really remarkable, Nancy. It's just delightful. But that cow. You just, you just want to give it a big old smack on the lips. Yeah. It's a sweet cow. It's moveless, oh as somebody goodness. said. Yes. Moveless. Okay. Oh, I love it. Love it, love it, love it. And so, Nancy, tell people where they can go to follow Wyatt's art. And you're taking commissions right now. He's booking yeah. up. But where can people request uh, a painting? They can go to Wyart Autism on Facebook. And on Instagram, it is also um, yart underscore autism. And that's on the screen right now for those of you that are watching the video podcast. And we should say that a lot of people have sent in pictures of their family pet and, and why it is now, and, and he's so good at it, you guys. He really captures the essence of the pet. But last week, Parker, during the live show, wanted to know if Wyatt was capable of doing portraits of people. And yeah. I, ch I checked with you, and you said that he was doing his first one. But talk he about did. how that turned out. He did his first portrait of my best friend, Gina Windsor. And I think, I think it really captured her. I'll show I that. think so, too. Yeah, I'll show that. Um, maybe I'll grab that. Uh, well, I don't know. I'll send it to Traven because it's already been shipped off to her. Right. But I will, uh, maybe for our next show, next yeah. week's show, we can take a look at that. Fantastic. I just love this. I, I love, uh, we got to see Wyatt the other day. It's the first time I've seen Wyatt in two years. I know. So it was great to see him and I got to see him paint a little bit and that was super fun and exciting as well. So uh, and we'll, that's a surprise that we're going to hopefully debut later on in the month. And it was but, great to see your son. It was great yeah, to see your son. It, it was, it was fun for us to all be in the same room. It was kind of 
it's kind of weird. I mean, we've, we've been in this kind of a room, but it was, right. it was like, oh, I'm here with you. I don't right. know about everybody else, but I have a real hard time going, oh, you're live. Yeah. <laughs> you know? like, so crazy. Anyway, we should uh, get to our news because eventually we're, we're going to need to get to our guest. Perfect. So, I love it when April's just around the corner, Nancy, because it all starts to happen where every news outlet has to have their autism story. And and some of them just put me in stitches. I don't know about you. Well, this uh, one was kind of like the duh heard around the world. Right? 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 Uh, so CNN, you got to love CNN. And, and I uh, talked to Nancy about this last night. I said, boy, they're just really, really on it, aren't they? Uh, <laughs> they've got a story out right now. The, the, the title for it, you can see there, Heartbreaking Delays and Autism Diagnosis and Treatment Got Even Worse During the Pandemic. Well, thank you for being, you know, right on top of that, CNN. Um, it's so true. And I think it's a great, uh, great headline because it highlights the fact that there were problems before with getting access to diagnosis and treatment and that it just got worse during the pandemic. It's just, where was this story two years ago? Exactly. Uh, you know, because that's the only thing. It's just, it's just like, well, thank you for sharing that now. Right. Um and Shannon, this article is not just about the pandemic, but about the overall delays in diagnose in getting a diagnosis and in getting effective ABA therapy. It does yeah. cover the really uh, lamentable lag in yeah. getting services. So uh, it it goes on to some degree about that, how difficult yeah. it is to get a diagnosis, and then how difficult it is to get quality ABA. Yeah, it's a worthwhile read, especially if you're sitting there going, I just don't understand why this is. But I have to say that, you know, a lot of the reason why is the same reason why we have problems with all kinds of things, because we're buried in the bureaucracy of paperwork. And well, let's legislate that we, you know, we have to have five more things before you can do something. And only these people who are certified can do this. And, yeah, well, and I'm Shannon, I'm, we're victims of that. After Wyatt got approved by Regional Center for ABA, we waited for um, at least eight months before we got card. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, that's when it was Regional Center, which is a state entity that had to loosen its purse funds. Uh, and we all thought that that was excruciating and that it was going to be so much better when insurance was in charge of that. And little did we know that insurance has perfected this game, this shell game of, oh, well, first you have to stand in this line to ask for this, and then you have to stand in this line. If I can just say to everyone out there, if you're having trouble getting a provider, that the first thing that you should do is call your insurance company and say, I need some help because I'm being denied. This is the phrase you use. I'm being denied access to care because if your insurance company is telling you, uh, you know, go, these are the five ABA providers locally that you have coverage with and you go and their waiting list is six months or a year. Go back to your insurance company and say, you've given me people that are full up. So that's a denial of access to care. I'm paying for insurance and you're denying me access to care. When you say that phrase, it should trigger a bunch of steps. And what they'll do is agree to pay for you to go to another ABA provider. So don't give up. Keep, you, you know what Nancy says? Nancy says, be a dog on a pork dog chop. Dog on a pork chop. 
Yeah. So you got to do that. Um, with any bureaucracy, any agency, I'm fighting the VA right now for some benefits for my deceased husband. And I have to go down there in person. They don't yeah. take phone calls. It's just the way it is. I got to put my big girl panties on and just suck it up and do it. Yeah. It's unbelievable what they put people through. It really is. But uh, our next story is both thrilling and a heartbreak at the same time. A nice story. Yeah. Uh, If you guys, do you watch American Idol, Nancy? I don't watch American Idol, but I did take the time to, I've watched it in the past, of course, but I did take the time to look at this clip. Well, I, my family, Jim and I, not so much Jim, he's not so much into it, although he was when he was little. Uh, We watch American Idol. We really enjoy it. I don't really enjoy it until we get to Hollywood week. Um, But this year, I, I, each year I enjoy it more and more because you know what? Katy Perry is wonderful. And I had said this on yesterday's show that Katy Perry believes in celebrating the difference in everyone. And she says, you know, be yourself and let's all be weird because we're mm-hmm. all weird. Mm-hmm. And I just love that. Let's promote that everywhere. So she's, yes. it's not this thing where they come in and they make fun of people anymore. I really, I really, really appreciate this. But this young man, Sam Finelli, auditioned for American Idol and we just loved him. He's got a beautiful, beautiful singing voice and he disclosed that he's on the autism spectrum and uh, we were really, really rooting for him. And, uh, you know, spoiler alert, if you watch this week's show, you know that he got cut in the first round of Hollywood week, but I'm hoping that we can get him to come on the show and talk with us. I think he's got a career ahead of him. I think he's delightful. What'd yeah, you- he did He did the, the song Rainbow, which is really a great song about diversity and, uh, you know, not fitting in and, and the sometime heartbreak of that and the beauty of that. So, um, you, you guys should look up, if you did not see the show, you can, if you go to this, um, you can get the clip by going to this article, which is in the Atlanta journal constitution. And it has a link to his audition singing rainbow and the, um, the judges, really tearing up. He really moved them, didn't he? Sean? Yeah. He's delightful. He's absolutely delightful. And we really were rooting for him. Uh, I know that he is probably heartbroken that he didn't get through, but you know what I have seen time and time again on American Idol is that a lot of times somebody will come and the, the team says, you know, you're just not ready. And, and it feels like a definitive no. And they always say to them, but come back, come back. And I love that because over the years, American Idol, just, I think they're celebrating their 20th anniversary this year. And and what's fun is that people have come back. There have been people who there's one gal this year that she auditioned in one city and it was on the fence and one person said yes, the other two people said no. She went home, thought about it, saw that there was an audition in another city and decided to go back the same year and she got through to Hollywood this, um, in the same year, other people have come back subsequent years or years later and said, now I'm ready for it and claim their space and gone on to be top 10. So I hope we'll see Sam back. I, I hope that he'll, you, you only get to be up to a certain age, but I think he's young enough that he can come back several more times. So we're I hope so too. fingers crossed for Sam and we're going to reach out, see if we can get him be on the show. Very fun. 
This next article, for some reason, I skipped over it when I was looking at in the news stories, but I can tell you the, the gist of it and you can get more into the detail. Um, the article, which is in um, Live Science, uh, Traven's putting it up there now, uh, says that a brain structure called the amygdala grows too fast in babies who are diagnosed with autism by age two. The study researchers found that this overgrowth occurs between six and 12 months of age before children are typically diagnosed with autism. Yes, and I can't get my story to come up, so I don't know why that is. But um, this is a this is a story that we keep telling here on the show because every couple of years, another study comes up that's exa about exactly this, and we just get a little bit further each time that we tell this story. But I remember when Jem was diagnosed with autism that they had the first beginnings of this where they understood that the brains of individuals who are on the autism spectrum were bigger in general than people who were not on the spectrum mm -hmm. and that they were trying to pare down, like, when does that happen? Like at what age does that happen and where in the brain does it start and what does it mean? And I remember somebody early on telling me that, um, because it's all part of this autoimmune discussion, right. um, that it seems like there is something that triggers the brain in very young children and that the brain starts to grow faster than it can make certain connections which means that there are some areas of the brain that are much more advanced at an earlier age than would normally be, which is why we sometimes see savants, but mm -hmm. that, but that sometimes there's, there, there's a thing in the brain called pruning that happens. And when the brain grows too fast, the pruning doesn't happen the way it does in other brains. And you end up with a different you know, way of processing, which, right, that's really what we're talking about with autism. So what I love about this is that we're really honing in on where in the brain and when in the brain. And as always, when they do these research articles, they talk about the benefits supposedly will be earlier access, that right. if we can see at six months that a child's brain has been triggered and is starting to grow, that we can not necessarily stop that because there are some benefits to it, but that there, but since we know that there will be potential deficits, that we could shore up the deficits and start right. making sure that we teach that child in a way that's appropriate for that child. It's mm -hmm. a very interesting way of looking at it. And I'm thrilled that we're getting further and further uh, it does seem like it takes forever, but where else we ha where else do we have to go? Right, <laughs> right. Uh, and then our last story in the news today, uh, I found this interesting because I I I think you have a better understanding of epidemiology than I do. Um, I, I don't know about that, Shannon. No. Well, Spectrum News is talking about Lisa Crone this week uh, in an article that they've done, and they've dubbed her autism's first dedicated epidemiologist. And I sort of thought this was interesting because, you know, Kaiser Permanente, it's very interesting how things have gone with Kaiser. Kaiser has really been at the forefront of a lot of good innovation that has come to autism. Kaiser was one of the first big insurers that made the decision that they were going to cover autism um, even when it was not required by the employer. 
now now people might say well that was because people sued them and they would not be wrong uh that that did happen but ultimately they very quickly saw and said we're going to change that i i do appreciate that kaiser says if we can find a way to make this better then why wouldn't we and uh and and we all understand that they have a vested interest because if they can find a way for people to lead happy productive lives it costs them less to do that than to provide support for people or to take care of people who are sick because they didn't weren't able to take care of themselves so kaiser has said well maybe we should look at this and they have uh, in their Northern California Division of Research in Oakland, have the first scientists uh, to bring an epidemiology toolbox to autism research. So I, I think that this is really interesting and I, and, and I think we should applaud Kaiser for this innovation. I do I, too. And this, she is really um, an incredible woman. She, um, has focused almost entirely on autism research, a subject she finds incredibly fascinating and motivating. Every aspect of life that we encounter is concentrated in the study of autism. Everything from behavior, biology, physiology, and hardcore science to politics and ethics. So she's looking, you know, really broad strokes at this. And she was inspired by her nephew, who is now an adult. And that is inspiring her to do more work in the area of adults with autism. There you go. And so they're looking at uh, a lot of different factors, but how the environment plays a role in what happens when someone is diagnosed with autism, including looking at things that are going on with the mother before pregnancy and during pregnancy. so I, I would love to get her on the show sometime and, and hear all the many things, all the questions she has. Exactly. You know, I'm sure she's thinking about a whole bunch of things and wouldn't it be fascinating to pick her brain and find out what questions she has? Yes, it would. Uh, but yay to Kaiser for making this, uh, this happen. Well, so. we'll have to reach out to her, Shannon, and get her on. There you go. So uh, we've got a guest who's going to be joining us in just a couple of minutes here, but I did want to take a second, Nancy, because Saturday is April 2nd, and that is World Autism Awareness Day. And I got to be honest, I get a little mm, itchy and fatutzed around that day when people start saying, well, that's a holiday or, or, or whatever, or we don't celebrate it or um, or, or we don't celebrate it because it has to do with this organization. We don't have anything to do with that. I just want to like say my two cents here that World Autism Awareness Day was not started by any other organization than the United Nations. And it was started as a result of the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Right. And it was, it was started as a way of making sure that there was initiative and movement towards making sure that people who are different in all the different ways that people are different had the same rights and opportunities as those that did not have something that labeled them different. Right. I just, I just don't know how you could be against that. I understand, like, you know, and I think the appropriate word is to commemorate World Autism Week. Commemorate is a great word for it, Shannon. Yeah. 
Um, so that's what my family does. I, and I encourage everyone to get behind that message. If there are certain organizations that you don't like and that you don't support, that is entirely your business. But this only, unless you are protesting the United Nations, there's no reason to protest World Autism Awareness Day. Um, because that's, that is in fact what it is about. So that's my two cents on that. Anything you want to say, Nancy? You, Shannon. No, I think we should look at it as a celebration, essentially, not, um, look at it as something as a negative thing. Well, I also like that every year the UN, it's not just lip service. You know, the UN says every year we're taking a topic and we're going to fo focus extra on that. And mm -hmm. this year, the topic is inclusivity in education. Which is great. How can anybody argue with that, right? How could you be against that? Um, and it, it is something that needs a fresh look. And, and so a lot of times if we have a show on the second, I will read the whole statement by the secretary. I'm not going to do that today. And we don't have a show on the second. Uh, not a live show anyway. Although we might do a live feed tomorrow from the studio. But um, in any case, uh, I, I just, I like to remind everybody what it actually is and what it isn't. So we don't have to be di divided about it. In any case, I see that our guest has we joined have a us. Guest. Can I introduce him, Shannon? Yes, I want you to. Okay, this, this man is so accomplished. I'm just going to yes. read his bio here. Alex Filstein. He's an award-winning inventor in Canada's energy section sector, and his innovations fo focus on emission-reducing technologies to achieve net-zero greenhouse gas emissions. How impressive is that? Love he it. is also the author of a newly published book. It's called Apollo Autism, and it focuses on autism acceptance and advancement towards a happier future in autism families. Um, he's the administrator of a Facebook group called Autism Stories. He lives in Calgary, Alberta, Canada with his wife, and he has two young sons who are on the autism spectrum. Welcome to the show, Alex. You. There he is. Yeah. Have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. What an impressive it. bio you have. Yeah, I was just uh, talking about propane and butane up until five minutes ago. Uh, and uh, no, for sure. And and now I'm here. So I'm really excited to be with you. Well, we're really glad gears. to have you. Alex, we'd like to start with your personal journey. Um, having two young sons on the spectrum, what that is like, that experience is like for you. And the fact that you were diagnosed with autism as an adult. Yeah, for sure. Uh, my son was diagnosed in 2014, um, and it was quite a journey. Uh, like uh, other parents, you know, I didn't really know what was going on. He was nonverbal back then, uh, extremely steamy boy, um, uh, having like pika, so eating just random objects, right? Like going through that entire journey. Uh, even today, he still has like a, a toy. He calls it a mantis shrimp. He's like, uh, it's like uh, made out of pipe cleaners. Um, and he kind of walks with it everywhere and kind of steams with it. Mm. And so I went through this journey, um, which took a lot of kind of acceptance, growth and uh, development on my part. 
And we all know how uh, autism dads, they don't really talk about this. Autism moms, they have uh, those big communities. So, and then four years later, I went through it uh, once again because my mm -hmm. second son was diagnosed on the spectrum as well. Uh, at which point um, uh, we received the diagnosis. I personally received it in a way kind of like, oh, okay, uh, wanna go for dinner? Uh, what? want to go to a restaurant and it was super easy. And so I was thinking, what can I do in the community to make it more for the new autism dads, uh, a little bit more like my second time versus my first time. And I started volunteering doing autism dad Zooms and um, it kind of uh, got me to think about the macro picture. How can I make more impact? And that's why I wrote this book called uh, Apollo Autism. And I really want to talk about uh, Apollo Autism and about what, uh, break it down for us. What, what, cause I understand you're somebody who is very interested in space. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm interested in space and part of my thing, like, um, so uh, by the way, I was also diagnosed in the spectrum after yeah. my kids were diagnosed. <laughs> so, uh, which explains why I know everything about the Apollo lunar landing program. Yeah. Uh, I knew everything like about the dates. Uh, I would just, read the patents for technology advancement that took place, uh, everything from microwaving to uh, diapers, <laughs> diapers in space. Um, I never knew why I, I like patents. I, I have 13 patents myself working for a major, super major oil producer, um, cutting emissions. I have uh, millions of millions of pounds over cutting CO2 emissions in reality, which kind of resulted in that uh, obsession being able to really execute on on my ideas what I have in mind um, and uh, yeah and it kind of brought things to somewhat of a closure for me personally because uh, when I was little I would just sit and like just read I would just observe kids um, and, and it never was a topic because my parents they're Ashkenaz Jews like from East Europe right I grew up in Israel I've been in Canada for over 20 years now and it never was a thing. We never knew what, why I was this way. And no, we never talked about this. And only when my kids were diagnosed, uh, we started looking into my past. And I was like, really? I didn't really play with any kids when, when I was little? That, that's kind of, that's different. Um, so, so that's kind of my personal growth. But about the book, yeah. Um, the book focuses on an engineer that lives through the Apollo program. Uh, in between 1967 and 1972, and he has a similar journey to mine, having two kids on the spectrum. And most of us know about the Apollo program. We know about Neil Armstrong landing on the moon, uh, but we don't know the journey the Apollo program had to go through uh, in iterative way to overcome significant challenges that go phase by phase until they reach their goal. And so this engineer is working in the Apollo program, and uh, this is an historic fiction based on real events. And he kind of learns to to overcome his challenges having autistic kids uh, as the program progresses. And he kind of um, comes to a conclusion of acceptance, but I'm not going to ruin the book. Uh, but in overall, it's it's mainly uh, about maybe accelerating acceptance for uh, moms and dads and show them some of the historic uh, um, past of how it used to be back then. and. How it used to be is that everybody, like the blame was on the mothers. Can you imagine you go today, uh, your kid gets diagnosed with autism and you're like, you know what, actually, uh, sorry, but it's kind of your fault. You're just too cold to your child. Uh, that started with Dr. Leo Connor back in 1943. 
uh, advanced further in 1959 through Joey the Mechanical Boy with Dr. Bruno Bettelheim. And so even in the 60s, as the humanity were going to the moon, landing on the moon, uh, autistic kids were looked at as um, it's the parents' fault and you guys are kind of strange and, you know, uh, acceptance in school was not a thing. Diversity and inclusion was like, if you're diverse, you're just like, we don't accept you. So I write a lot about this in the book in the hope that the parents of today can also see what it used to be back then. Yeah, I mean, just what what, what a tragedy that so many mothers, uh, you know, went to their graves feeling like they were to blame. They were called refrigerator mothers. It was just absolutely yeah. unbelievable. Right? And, and it's not like a year or two. We're talking uh, decades of right. those type of realities. And then who would question that? Because it's like, well, 10 years ago, it used to be that way, 20 years. Ago. So what changes now, right? Yeah. And um, yet, and yet I feel like, as you were saying that, you know, we don't hear from the dads very much. We hear from the moms. I feel like the moms compensated by creating a tribe and the moms all talk to each other. And a lot of times I feel like now the dads are just left out, left off the table, uh, pushed to the sidelines. I, I mean, I've been saying all week, Alex, that we were so thrilled to have you on. And I always say, cause I love to hear from the dads. It's, it's amazing. And a little still rare for us to hear from a dad and you think that the, the dads and I think, I think Nancy does too, the dads have a particular important part of this. Talk to us about what, what role you think the dads need to take. Yeah. So first of all, uh, you know, uh, as I was investigating what was taking place historically, uh, we know about like the first case for uh, autism uh, from Leo Connors. It was Donald Trimplett, right? Donald Triplett. And what I read, what's really fascinating to me is that I read about in Leo Connor's investigation, how he looked at the parents as well. And I could see a little bit of myself in that father. I think uh, Donald Triplett's father was autistic. Wow. And I think many autism parents today, um, they could be also on the spectrum. I mean, think about this in California right now, one in 26 kids is on the spectrum in every classroom. But if you look further into the data is one in 16 boys. It's not like one in 44. It's not 2.3%. It's 4% of that population in California. But then you have two kids in every classroom that are boys on the autistic spectrum. And so I think, first of all, that this is the autism is not rare. I think it's time for autism dads to get kind of more educated on this topic and come to the communities uh, just like um, closer to what I'm trying to create and, and talk about this openly and and know that you are not alone, that this is not a journey that uh, is still is stigmatized, um, that there is an element of acceptance here and it comes through community. And I see moms are doing an amazing job in this area, learning from each other, kind of creating those friendships. And I think there's a lot of rooms for dads here to also kind of inherit some of those vibes and and uh, know that they're not alone. And so um, that's kind of how I think about dads. I mean, uh, I went, I, I talk openly about my diagnosis, about my children at work. Uh, there were many people that came uh, from the company like, hey, Alex, me too, me too. You know, there's this kind of me too kind of, and, and we talk about things and we learn different strategy and how you um, 
cope with things, cope with the stigma, cope with the kind of develop more acceptance, you know, and, uh, you know, just final thoughts on this. I think like autistic children that don't really require perfect parents, but these children need accepting and happy parents who will support and love them. And so that's kind of um, where, where I'm at on this topic. I love it. Alex, is that, is your uh, Facebook group Autism Stories about giving support to others? Well, initially, uh, I started this group because we were doing dads, uh, autism dad Zooms, uh, getting the dads uh, on the Zooms. And I figured, well, we'll just start a group, you know, because, you know, nobody, I didn't know what I was doing. I'm like, okay, a group, a page, I don't know, just <laughs> launch something. And then it kind of grew and... Uh, Obviously, there's all kind of people, you know, autism moms and family members and some greasy people that are trying to promote. <laughs> like so, so uh, that's kind of how it started. But I think um, I'm, I'm a solutions guy, uh, so I, I would execute something in the field, cut emissions. You tell me, hey, we need to reduce emissions, uh, global warming, climate change. We need we need a solution to do this. So I'll go to an oil field and I'll you know, propose a solution and we'll cut emissions. I'm just very literal that way. And so when I saw like that, what I went through with my, um, with my first son in his diagnosis, I'm like, well, this is not, th there's a gap here between how I responded to this event because I discovered the, the world, but there's this community out there. They know like you, right? Nancy, Shannon, you, you're the community, you know everything about this. So if I had access to you, you would just accelerate this journey for me for being able to relate to kind of um, what what you went through and learn some of the ways maybe, you know, and even today in the data we have from, from people, for example, uh, in Utah, they took uh, eight-year-olds and eight-year-olds, uh, they looked at IQ intellectual disability and about, uh, I think it was like 27% of the autistic kids had intellectual disability. They did the same with the four-year-olds and about 60% had intellectual disability. So what we have today is that we have parents that are hearing from the community saying, well, your son has intellectual disability, but about 30% of those kids will not have this intellectual disability in like four years later. So we have this big gap in communication and the way we measure things in the data we receive. So I think there's this huge importance about being part of a community and really understanding that what you're told is not like exactly how, uh, you know, because uh, ADDM network, CDC, they're also trying to learn about what, what's happening here, right? So Amazing. Alex, um, based on your experience being on the spectrum yourself and having two sons on the spectrum, what, what advice would you give to parents then uh, of newly diagnosed kids? Yeah, and I talk a lot about this in my book. Um, I think what's, you know, uh, if you were, let's say, in grade five, and I give you a PhD degree, and I say, hey, go teach uh, university. I mean, that, that's just like, that's a huge macro uh, event, right? Um, and you're not able to do it because you didn't go through this process of graduating high school, going doing bachelor's degree, getting your master's, PhD, and now you can teach. I feel like sometimes like in the autism diagnosis, uh, well, we were told kind of like, well, just continue to love him. It's gonna, it's going to be a marathon, not a sprint. Um, good luck, uh, you know? And this is a big macro event that takes place. And I feel like the advice I would give parents is that 
don't look at it this way. Look at it as an iterative process as you phase into the future that takes time and you will find happiness and acceptance. You will find it. It's just, don't don't look at it as one big event, like it just happens to you, which is what usually happens. And in the book, I really describe it as phase by phase process where this this character is going through and he learns, right? Because I'll give you an example. Apollo 1, uh, January 1967, the entire crew vanished in Florida on the pad. Roger Chaffee, Ed White, Gus Grissom. There was a fire on the pad. Uh, 1969, July 20th, 1969, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin landing on the moon. Something happened over those two years, and I'm not comparing autism by any means to any of those incidents. There was an iterative process to say, okay, let's improve, let's improve, let's try this. Okay, this didn't work. Let's go to the next stage. And you iterate, iterate as you go. And, and that's kind of how I saw my life because I'm so obsessed with that program. That's kind of how I saw my son development. That's how I looked at my second son, just very patiently iterating phase by phase, advancing forward. And I think uh, this really helped me to be in a position where I'm somewhat of a leader in the community now. I openly talk about this. I go to dads, people that, you know, still kind of afraid of this topic. And I talk to them about it. And somehow it makes sense to me where, where you break it to smaller pieces um, it makes sense. And of course, you know, not being judgmental, not saying, oh, do this, this is wrong, this is right. Just more of a kind of supporting element. Uh, I think the moms are doing an amazing job in, in this area because you, you guys are naturally patient and kind of warm. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it, but the dads, they, they're a little bit, um, you know, there's a little bit of that kind of old school mentality kind of, oh, I'm going to fix it. Things are, you know, we, we yeah. will get over it. You know, a I'm in lot, control. A lot of dads, uh, they, I mean, I think of Rodney Pete, Holly Robinson Pete's husband, who wrote a book called Not My Boy. Um, you know, a lot of dads in the beginning, and I know my own husband was in denial in the beginning and had a really hard time with the diagnosis. You know, it's like they're not, they think, well, I'm not going to have the baseball player, the football player, the the uh, scholar, you know, this is not going to happen for me now. It's the end of a dream. So uh, it is, I think, tough for many, many fathers. It's true. And, and, uh, but reality is, is that I'm also not going to be a baseball player. Right. I'm not going to be landing on the moon anytime soon. Are you sure? Uh, yeah. I'm <laughs> Are sure. you sure? <laughs> I'm sure. So, so maybe that expectation of, you know, I, I don't end up at point A, but I will end up in this point B or C and being a little bit more flexible, agile, just kind of iterating phase by phase over time, not being like rigid on anything. It requires a lot of kind of fluid uh, flexibility on the parent's part and just kind of supporting your child. I also very passionate about uh, the divorce rate in the community. I don't know exactly what it is, but at the time where your child needs the most support, uh, parents, you know, there's this element of, well, maybe it's from your side. Maybe it's from your grandmother's uncles, you know, like this is so unproductive and nobody really needs those conversations, but I, I just know that that's how it is in the community. And, and we can do better by having the conversations like this and you know what, like more flexibility, more agility, you know, it's, it's not a simple topic, but if we break it to smaller pieces, we can overcome the challenges as we advance. I love this example that you're setting for people all over the world, especially for dads, Alex. I'm, I'm sure that 
people are going to ask though, you're so capable. You're, you know, you're clearly brilliant and you're clearly an amazing dad. And yet in, since your children were diagnosed, you got a diagnosis. Uh, and, and so forgive me, but I think people are wondering like, what are the, what are the challenges that led you? And if it's too personal, please feel free to say, I don't want to answer, but, but I think it would be helpful for us to know what are the kinds of things that led you to realize, oh, maybe, maybe I don't, cause I, Maybe you think differently, but to go and get a diagnosis of a disorder, what made you think I might qualify for that? Well, first of all, like I always was told that my thinking, I use a lot of analogies, a lot of examples, uh, like lots of metaphors. I, I would, I, like every time I would talk, I would just use a lot of um, kind of third party uh, things. What really made me want to go and get the diagnosis or at least look into it is uh, really my wife, because I really wanted to show her that, uh, you know, um, I can be more supportive, more in place because I, I tickle on a lot of things. Like uh, I, I will be very obsessed about my work and just really dedicate to that. And so uh, she could be like waiting for me and I'm thinking about other things, right? I could be looking at like some ticker, like, uh, and then looking at some data for hours, reading like a polo pattern. So I know it's just something, it's a big part of me, but I had to, like, I don't want to get divorced. Uh, I want my kids to have a family. I love my wife. She loves me. So I wanted to have disclosure. And the more I educated myself on this topic, the more I'm like, wait a second. There's no way I'm I'm uh, neurotypical. There's no way. I even did, like, a Google test. On, like, and I'm, like, way to the right, you know? Yeah. So, so I just went and uh, met with a psychologist that specializes in ASD diagnosis. And... And she was like, whoa, what took you so long? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was a surreal event. But but I really wanted to bring my wife and be like, hey, see, like that that's why I'm, I go to the community and I talk about autism all the time. And that's why I look at this data because I just don't know how not to, like because I see an opportunity here to share this knowledge uh, where typically I think people will be like, okay, sounds good. I'll just, you know, go watch a baseball game or something. So. Well, I love it. I love that you that you have this persistence that there that it can be better and that you're working on it. I always say, don't I, Nancy? I say, well, hopefully brighter minds than mine are working on it. Alex, I think you're an, an infinitely brighter mind. Thank I'm you. You're too kind. You're too kind. I'm yeah. glad that you're working on it. Yes. How how are you? I'm sorry, Nancy. How are your boys uh, doing now? Yeah, so my sons, they're 7 and 11, just like the store, 7 and 11. <laughs> no, they're, like they're, do they're doing well. And, you know, and again, if I had certain expectations of how they would do, I, I could have been in a different place, me personally. But I'm just really glad that we're making this progress. I'm part of this, on this journey with them, right? And um I accept of who they are, accept of who I am. I understand I'm educated on this topic. I know that autism didn't just happen like last year or two years ago, or we see like high prevalence rates because all of a sudden, like things were evolving over time. Things are happening, right? And so I'm mindful of that. I'm mindful of my journey with my sons and we're continuing on this journey. And that's kind of what I write about in the book because uh, it is a journey. And, you know, you, you start in a certain place, 
you have uh, triumphs, you have uh, defeats, but, uh, you know, for example, when my son was uh, five years old, he just used to go to playground, eat a bunch of rocks. So he would just put those rocks in his mouth. Then I'll go to my wife and be like, how many you think he ate? Uh, how many? Like, I would have those conversations. And she's like, dude, like, what are you talking about? We need to go to the hospital, right? But now he doesn't do that anymore. And so that, that's a win, and I will take that win. And if he's a little bit delayed on uh, his school or maybe three, four grades behind, it's okay because, you know, there's next year and there's this year. So keeping that kind of flexible mind and uh, open-minded about progress over time, which is really important. Well, Alex, you are so enlightened. And I think both mothers and fathers can benefit from your knowledge and what you shared with us today. It's Thank my you. hope that during this hour, we've had some fathers listening and maybe you've helped to change some of their perceptions of their own journeys. Thank you, Absolutely. Nancy. Thanks so much. Where can we get the book, Alex? That's the, the next question. Well, I'm publishing for Autism Month because, uh, uh, like I said, I don't know what I'm doing. I just spent like two years writing this book and now I need to like market and I'm not very good at marketing. But I think there's a lot of value for parents. Uh, by the way, I'm donating all net proceeds to Ukrainian children. It's mm. heartbreaking uh, what's happening. I already, from the sales, I already got, I already raised $600 that were donated right away. Uh, I intend to do so this year as well. So it's on Amazon. Um, it's there. I'm very proud of this book. I think it's an important one. I think it provides a story of autism in the late 1960s. It's a dad that has no idea what's landing on him, and he's trying to basically land in a better spot and it's an inspiring story it was really important for me to tell this story um and and i think it will inspire many people so it's on amazon it's called apollo autism so the apollo journey and the autism journey that just happened to interconnect face by face uh, just like i'm trying to do in my life right now there it is apollo autism and uh i have to ask i mean obviously have you have you been able to go to nasa have you been on the tour have you seen a launch like how are you how into this are you uh a lot i'm really <laughs> i'm really into it um i'm more i'm more obsessed with the patents i learned so much uh, to the point that I can understand why the inventor did the patent. It, it's really strange to share with you, but I can see if the inventor did it to keep his job even, because mm -hmm. I can relate the dates to kind of like, well, is he just trying to add value or this is like a legit technology that's going to be advanced. So I think I kind of see those perspectives in a little bit different light, but, um, and I don't really, um, you know, I'm not like a rocket science guy in a way, even though I have a degree in geomatics engineering, I just like uh, the element of learning from that iterative process where you develop something and it, it ends up working, you know? Um, so, and that's what really worked with me and my children because I can tell you, like, I don't need to be perfect. I just need to be happy and in a good place and my children will benefit from it. There you go. I um, am a big fan of the Apollo program, but I don't know nearly as much as you do. But it was a very big deal to me a couple of years ago. I got to go down to um, to Houston, and um, my son and I got to tour the international, you know, where they have the International Space Station 
the control room and everything. And then at some, they, we just like turned a corner and they walked us into the room where they, the control room from the Apollo missions. And I, and there you are, you're there. And in the room where that all happened. And I just started to cry, Alex. I just had this emotional response because my dad was really into the Apollo programs. I, it was so unexpected, but I just stood there and cried for the opportunity to be there. There was like a coffee stain on the carpet. And I, 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 I kept thinking, who spilled that coffee that has been there for all of these years? And it was just a big, and then as a result of that, a couple of years later, I'm sure you're familiar with Dr. Temple Grandin. Of course. Yeah. We, we took her, um, to, uh, back there. They gave her a tour. We got to go with her for the entire day with five astronauts and she got a tour from five astronauts while we filmed at some point we have to put out a mini documentary about that. But oh, I wish um, I was there. Yeah. Right. Well, if I ever get the film out, then you can feel like you were there for the day. But I thought <laughs> that I was going to come out of my skin because I, I wanted someone to commemorate that. It was just this amazing day of being a geek about the space program. And it was, it, well, I'll tell you what else was amazing was they asked if Temple would speak during the lunch hour to all the employees of NASA. And, um, and she said, I would love to do that. How many seats are in the space where you're going to put me? And they said, oh, we're just going to put you in the small room where there's like a hundred chairs. And she said, that won't work. You better get a bit of grace. And they were like, well, you know, it's lunchtime and people don't really, you know, come to all the speaker series. And she said, get the bigger room. And they have uh, on the complex a big theater. And they said, all right, but we, we, we wanted to fill up for you. There was standing room only because so many of the employees, as you were saying, they were like, I have a grandchild or I have three kids or I think it was news to NASA how many people were working for them are have family members or believe that they themselves are on the spectrum. It was kind of an amazing moment to see. Well, and statistically, you know, uh, I think we're just like in the first innings of of what's on on that autism journey because how many neurodiverse people working right now at NASA? Out of the four hundred thousand people that work in in the for the Apollo program. Those were not like just typical neurotypical brains, right? There, there was a lot of diversity in there, um, and, and so I really wanted to capture the story of that engineer. It was so important to me to show his his life and what happens to him on on his journey and the triumphs. And we all know Apollo 13 with Tom Hanks, yeah. uh, Houston. We have a prop, right? And so yeah. I'm kind of integrating all of those events, and, and he's basically and, and how did they? you know, basically came up with solutions to proceed despite the challenges. And I think it's not really, for me, it's the technical element. It's about that human spirit, our ability to overcome challenges and, and really converge to a place where we achieve our goals and become happier. Amazing. Well, Alex, thank you so much. Uh, Traven, let's thank once you. again show them where they get the book. And if people want to follow uh, the group that you have on Facebook, where do they need to go for that? Well, I have a very open profile on Facebook. It, it just you can add me as a friend or follow me, or Autism Stories on Facebook. Okay. And um, that's about it. I'm a simple guy. Yeah. 
Wonderful. And there, there is the book again, Apollo Autism. Make sure that you check that out. Alex, you're an inspiration to all of us. Thank you so much for being with us. You definitely are, Alex. This has been a wonderful conversation. We're so glad you could join us today on the show. And, and I really appreciate you. I watch you, Nancy. I watch you, Shannon. Thank you so much for being uh, advocates and leaders in this community. And uh, you deserve a lot of credit for pioneering this for us. And, and so now now we're joining you as well and trying to do our best to build a better future for our community. So thank you thank for this opportunity. You. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Have a Good great day. day. Thanks. Thank you. All right. What an amazing, amazing he gentleman. Phenomenal. I hope some some fathers were listening, don't you, Shannon? And I every do. moms, fathers, kids, anybody. Yeah. Amazing. I, I love his whole viewpoint um, and hope that that's what spreads wildfire throughout this community in the wonderful month of April and every day. Uh, we, we are just about out of time here, but uh, want to thank our guests for, for being with us. Want to thank all of you for being with us. You'll want to stay tuned because we are going to have some special programming Um tomorrow and uh i believe that we're going to have a marathon that's going to run on saturday i gotta ask traven about that i don't know that we finalized that but we are going to be back on monday and nancy it, it goes completely off the hook next week so i'm so excited we have a mystery guest for you on monday but on uh, tuesday oh yeah it's gonna be good then on tuesday uh dr doreen grampiche does ask dr doreen then on wednesday i have a wonderful hour-long interview with holly robinson pete which i'm so excited about talking with her about everything that's been going on and everything that's going on uh and the exciting new things that she's doing with the hallmark channel and what that might mean for the autism community and then on thursday nancy and i are welcoming Matt Asner and Nava Paskowitz Asner to talk about their journey and the things that they have going on over at the Ed Asner Family Center. It's going to be a great kickoff week for the first week in April. I'm excited Fantastic. about it. Nancy. Great. Guess. Yes. All right. So, uh, and don't forget that on April 18th, Temple Grandin is going to be joining us live on April 18th. If you have questions you want to ask Temple, there's no time too early to send to us. So uh, I know it's always, everybody always wants to ask the questions live. Temple always tells me she's, she would prefer to have the questions beforehand. Um, then occasionally she does answer a live question when she sees it in the crawl, in the, in the questions in the chat, but she, but she always says she prefers to get the questions beforehand, you guys. So if you want to make sure your question gets asked, send me your question. You can send it in on the chat on autism live, or you can send it to me at Shannon at autism live.com. Uh, that that's another way to do that. Anything else, Nancy, anything else that we left off the table? Here? I don't think so. I think we covered it all today, Shannon. That and why it's art, which is just amazing. Make sure that you're checking out right. why I art. Sent, I sent Traven the portrait of my best friend. I just texted, uh, emailed it to him. So maybe we can have that on next week's show. We will definitely have that on next week's show. All right, my friend, uh, we'll see you next week. But until then, give your kiddos a hug from me. And yourselves a hug from me. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye for now. Bye.